This is Asia Tech Podcast. My name's Graham Brown. We are joined in the studio by Sherilyn Tan. Sherilyn, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. Asia Law Network. I know about you. I've known about you for a while because I see your face around platform me as well because you're on the posters here. Yes. So you have a presence here, but I don't actually see you a lot in platform me. You're out and about, aren't you? Yes. Doing presentations. A lot. Yeah. Did one today. That, that's uh, part of my job. Actually, right. my everyday job. Right. Is yeah. it? Do you find yourself out pitching and presenting most of your time? Yes. I think that's that's about fifty percent of my time. Yeah. Yeah. You enjoy it. You good um, at I'm an introvert by uh, nature, on. but I'm a trained extrovert, so well, I'm good. Right. You've got outside <laughs> of your comfort zone. Yes. And right. I actually, you know, when I'm pitching something that I'm passionate about, like my product and what we do, yeah. uh, it's, it gets really simple and uh, I find that energy from within, so right. it's okay. Yeah. And you had energy when you came into the studio today. You were like static electricity flowing off you. So I feel it today. Yeah. So an Asia Law Network, we'll talk about that. Talk about the, the genesis of that. And then, um, you know, the problem that you're solving. Are you a lawyer by trade? No, no, I'm not a lawyer by training. Right. In fact, uh, I'm solving this problem from a user perspective. Right. Uh, I'm an accountant by training, mm-hmm. uh, technologist by training, a design thinking person by training. Right. Uh, but I'm not a lawyer by training. An accountant, technologist, and design thinker. Yeah. What did you do at university? Uh, accounting. Accounting. So did you do CFA? and? Uh, I didn't go into doing CFA, but I know kind of like the process because right. I've always been dealing with my own finances, running businesses and doing my own right. numbers. Yeah, yeah, you'd still be doing that now. If yes. you're in that. I see it on LinkedIn now. Like I think this week was the week everybody qualified, right? They did their exams. And so exactly. I've got all the updates. <laughs> I'm CFA too. Got to do them. Exactly. It's endless, isn't it? You got to shout about it. Yes. Yeah. So you trained as an accountant <laughs> yes did you just out of interest because i'm always curious about what makes an entrepreneur as well mm. at what point did you think you were an entrepreneur was it straight out of the gate were you an entrepreneur when you were younger um i would like to say family plays a part so uh-huh. my family uh, comes from a business background mm-hmm. um so it's always about taking some kind of risks uh and always doing something that's different mm-hmm. not being afraid of competition i mean you know, when one cafe opens, the other cafe doesn't think about how many other cafes out there. Right. But, you know, they start um, and try to be better than uh, the others. So I, I think um, a lot of that spirit of not being fearful came from uh, family. Right. Mm, but were the they an point, entrepreneurial family? Were they, what were they doing as a business? Uh, my mom was uh, into logistics and now she's into right. beauty things. Where Run her know, own business? Uh, yes, run right. her own business. Yeah. So that made an impression upon you, obviously. Yes. Yeah, yeah did she's you, always working. But when you were an accountant, did you think this was going to be it? Or did you think, I've got to go and do my own thing? Um, I did have a go at trying to be an accountant. Right. Um, in fact, uh, very interestingly, straight out of school, uh, I was asked to go for an interview with uh, one of the MNC pharmaceuticals. Mm-hmm. And they thought, you know, we need an accountant, so let's interview this uh, lady. And immediately after the interview with the HR person, she's like, I'd like to introduce you to my sales director. <laughs> All <laughs> so right, where's clearly, this going? Right. Um, clearly, I think uh, I have to do a bit more than just accounting. Right. So but selling, you could probably sell, I think, though. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay, let's talk about Asia Law Network. Mm. And we have your pitch deck here. Um, if we can just kind of flick that up on the screen. So I know you describe yourself as 
on one of the slides later on as the WebMD of legal services. You stand by that? Is that what you go out and tell people? Is that just um, happened to be one slide thrown in there? Yeah, that is one of the things we do. Right. So okay. there are a few pillars. Uh, we're B two B to C platform. Yeah. So you realize that on the surface, I think a lot of people know us as the place to go to when you have legal service uh, when you have legal needs. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can find a lawyer there. You can find other services or solutions that are catered for uh, anybody. And you can find, you know, free reading about, you know, the law across the region. Um, but what we also do on the back end is actually to help the law firms and the accounting firms to work better. Right. To save a lot more time on the administrative tasks so that they can spend more time client facing. Yeah. You've and got a whole suite of services that sit on the back end there, exactly. which is sort of later in the pitch deck. Exactly. Where did this come from? You said this was from a personal user perspective. What's the pain point? Where, where did it all start, Sherilyn? Um, so my previous business was a creative agency. Mm. So I actually uh, co-owned a creative agency um, when I was 25 to 28. Creative agency means what? Design, uh, design. or advertising? Yes, work. exactly. Okay. So uh, through the line advertising, so we even buy media for mm -hmm. clients. Uh, we do strategic campaigns, uh, integrated campaigns in those days where social media is not always, you know, the the first thing people look at. Mm -hmm. um, yep. So I used to do that, and uh, we had a lot of uh, very robust clients, and it was at a point where I was going through some health issues, and I needed to restructure the company, uh, get more investors, shareholders, um, and also to expand the business, uh, have new talents brought in, mm. and I needed legal services at point in time to draft all these documents, negotiate contracts. Um, and it was really difficult for me to find lawyers. Why? Um, maybe I can pose that question to you. If, if you have yeah, a legal oh yeah. need, where Always. would you go other than Stephen? <laughs> uh, right, yeah, exactly. A big shout out to Stephen. He'll come up again and again in our presentation. Um, where would you go? I mean, I have lawyer friends, but I feel almost afraid to ask them. Exactly. Because, you know, oh no, I'm going to ask them a really stupid question and they charge $500 an hour or whatever. I'm going to ask them about a form. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so I don't know, Sherilyn. Tell me, what's the answer? So that is actually one of the biggest pain points uh, in terms of uh, navigating the legal industry. There's no standard way of approaching lawyers, mm. and there's no standard ways uh, that you get charged. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, in terms of uh, pricing, right? So what we've done actually on Asia Law Network is that we've created this platform called Quick Consult. Mm -hmm. Basically, it's an automated service which allows anybody to ask any questions, mm -hmm. whether whether they think it's stupid or not, for $49. Right. And okay. within two days. Right. That means... $49, sing dollars, right? So yes. that's about 35, 40 US, yes. right? Yes. And we have that service across Asia. Okay. So if you have any legal needs across, like, for example, today you want to set up in Thailand right. or in Indonesia, you mm. can easily get to a lawyer for $49. Right. And They're going to give me an answer yes. for 49 bucks. So right? we cap it about three questions. And, you know, in the form filling process, you actually describe... The, your background right. and some of the facts of the case. Mm. So that process is automated and that allows lawyers to then get back to you really quickly. Mm. Because in the traditional way of approaching lawyers, uh, you can imagine, right? Call up right. the firm, the secretary or an administrator picks up, they have no clue what you're asking. And then they'll have to fix you a meeting with the lawyer for next week or next month. Mm. And by that time, I mean, it's just a simple question. Right. 
and you don't want to have to bug your friends all the time for it. No. Right? No. It's like going to see a doctor. I mean, you don't have to see your friends. Right. In fact, sometimes it's embarrassing. Exactly. So you yeah. don't want to be telling your friends all your problems. Um, okay. So this is a very arm's length way of, uh, you know, people approaching legal services mm. and uh, having that uh, very open and standard approach. All right. So any legal services? Yes. Is it just for business owners? No, it's any legal services. Right. Yes. So family le- family law, contract law. Yes. Everything. Everything. Business advice, uh, anti-competition, right. um, anything. And okay. even uh, negotiation if you need. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So let's say as a case study example, mm-hmm. uh, a couple of examples. Um, I set up a business with a business partner. It didn't work out. A mm-hmm. little bit of a not so amicable divorce so to speak um can i then say okay what do i do in this situation yes absolutely yeah Yeah. how how would i actually type that in in terms of you say three questions did i have to have specific questions or is it i just explain the case like Uh, i said there is effects of the case part and then the questions part for some people they already know the questions Uh Uh, for those who don't uh, a specific outcome they're looking for yeah and uh the lawyers i mean lawyers deal with this day in day out right right? and these information are back of their head okay the key is just having a standard and you know easy way for them to get that across to the users so i don't have to have the final question which is okay no you asked that question therefore you discount you can be a bit more sort of vague and i guess a lot of people are as well all the way up to family law for example or even like for example tenancy law here in singapore all there so can i have somebody look at a tenancy agreement for me um you can look at specific clauses oh Okay. okay. So, yeah. uh, because to read the entire contract, it's it's sometimes yeah. too long. So, what happens is we ask uh, users to a copy and paste, for example, the specific clause right. that they're looking at, and then you can actually uh, get an answer from the lawyers. Right. As mm. an example, so having just moved here to Singapore, yes. I'm not familiar with property law, contract yes. law here. Yeah. And it's very specific as well. I don't know my rights as a as a tenant, yes. for example. I'm actually a property landlord in the UK, and I know the law very well. But it's ah. very different here yes. in Singapore. So let's say my landlord puts in a tenancy agreement with a clause in place which says like, I can move in, but I can only own this one type of fridge brand, whatever. I mean, just being, I'm joking. Yes. Could I then put that in there and say, is this legitimate? Can you give me some advice on that? Yes. Uh, so what you can do is uh, we have a trial of like um, articles mm-hmm. on landlord and tenancy agreements on our platform. So if you go to asialawnetwork.com, uh, under the blog segment uh, or resources segment, you basically see all kinds of law that's written uh in articles that's easy to understand we also have infographics uh for readers Mm -hmm. to read about basic laws right Right. or basic situations and circumstances that you might uh face and from there um all our articles are actually co-written with lawyers right yes Uh, so uh, we're the only are you paying them to write those or they write them because it's then their sort of marketing on the platform yes it is uh it is sort of their give back yeah yeah so in asia we're very big on you know community yeah uh, well they've got to do pro bono exactly okay interesting we'll talk about your journey in a minute but i want to ask you a question because it you know it sounds like a solution i could use right here right now why wasn't it around earlier you know, we live in a world where, you know, Uber's not new and Grab's not new, Airbnb's not new. People are used to this idea of creating easy access to mm. skills and assets that have been locked into systems. Yeah. Why is it taking until now for this to happen and why you? Okay, so um, I think the legal industry is something that moves a lot slower than other 
uh, industries mm-hmm. like um, delivery. You know, uh, you have your ride hailing industry. Um, so legal industry, we've been around for three and a half years, close to four now, and we have always been uh, trying to push the boundaries a little more each time. But together, but what we've regulated is to make sure that this is sustainable. Mm-hmm. Because what we don't want to do is to damage the reputation of the lawyers. Yeah. And we don't want to, you know, uh, ruin what they have built thus far. And they are actually very receptive. It's just that, um, of course, with anything that re- requires regulation, uh, it's important that we also do it with, uh, with a sense of responsibility. That's why I mentioned that all articles are written with lawyers. Mm. Um, you can have platforms like WebMD um, that are written um, maybe with doctors and maybe not or researchers but with law it's it's very specific and you want that article to be updated when mm-hmm. you're reading this 10 years down the road and how we do that is to enable lawyers to actually update it on the back end uh, easily so if they realize right. the article is outdated they could actually post an right. update they can directly edit it themselves exactly so th- there's a lot of responsibility mm. involved when you're dealing with someone's lives mm. uh, and especially legal advice is not something that anybody can give even I yeah. am not you know, qualified to do that, right? And um, and lawyers care a lot about this more than the average person, right? Exactly. They built up a career, like you say. Exactly. So. so to build what we've done uh, takes a lot of time, yeah. And it takes a lot of uh, persuasion. It takes a lot of uh, market educating. Mm. Uh, we have to educate both the legal industry as well as the users. Mm. So it's a huge task. Yeah. And um, so we're doing it, you know, in a very sustainable manner, and mm. uh, we want to make sure that we do it in a responsible way too. Okay. And that's why it's, it's I, I would say there are people who try to solve the problem, but in a different way. So I guess that's where me not being a lawyer helps mm, because I see how? things from a different perspective. Right, but in what way would you see that a lawyer wouldn't see it? So I believe such platforms have been started by lawyers uh, or legally trained people before, um, but they will not see it from a tech perspective. They will not see it from a process management perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe more for like, you know, uh, clients coming to see them you know as as uh as a service but not so much the other parts that we're trying to solve right that builds the entire ecosystem uh that allows what we do today possible i mean we have 40 percent of singapore's lawyers on the platform mm-hmm. and uh now we're going across the region and uh from three years ago it's been about relationship building it's about getting people to trust us uh it's about having a trustworthy place uh that you know people can go to because legal is huge. It's, yeah. it's, um, it's not as going of now, away. It's yeah. not going away. And as of now, it's at a $200 billion industry in Asia alone. Right. And you're talking about right hailing at $80 billion 2025. Right. Um, right now, it's huge already. Okay, so before we look at the journey, I'm going to role play. I'm a lawyer. <laughs> I've studied very hard for many years mm-hmm. and it cost my family a lot of money yes. to get to this position. And you're talking about charging my time out of $49 yeah so come on but you know okay. I've got to put a zero on the end of that before this makes sense for me how, how do you because I imagine some lawyers yes. think that or maybe that's their knee-jerk reaction yes when they actually realize what the reality is can you sort of put me in my place okay so I'll talk about first the macro uh, macro uh, numbers statistics right in UK and Australia let's talk about very similar markets developed mm. uh, you know legal systems are in place Every one lawyer in UK, Australia serves about 460 to 480 population. Right. In Singapore, one lawyer serves 1,150 population. Which about three means, times, yeah. Yes, there's a huge market out there that's not served. 
And at this point in time, if you ask any 10 persons or 100, right, only 5 to 10% of people actually use legal services. Mm. Which means that the entire market is still not exposed right. to using legal services. Imagine that pie growing. We can easily double the pie or triple the pie if we find the right way to solve the problem, the delivery of legal services. And, and that's super important. Um, and also, so if you scale that down, right? So after I've looked at the numbers, um, if you look at how lawyers uh, have been in structures, uh, it's always been just legal on its own silo. Um, and, and if you look at other industries, they have evolved, right? Accounting has evolved to advisory and a lot yeah. of other services. And, and that's where you see uh, some of the big firms, big accounting firms are going into legal. Yeah. Yeah. So there is going to be a change in the industry and how the industry delivers uh, professional services. Mm. And that's why we never limited ourselves to just, you know, um, having the tools available to lawyers, but also to other professional services, because it helps build that ecosystem um, together. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Great. And I love the fact that you say that only five to 10% of people use legal services. Yes. I wonder. What what does that figure compare to? I mean, it's maybe difficult to get the numbers, mm -hmm. but roughly, just freestyle on this one, to the people who actually need them. Uh, everyone needs a lawyer. Really? Six times in their lives, at least. Okay. So one, uh, of course, when you're buying a flat, you're getting yeah. married, you're doing your wills, uh, you need to do a will again after yeah. you get married. because And you're going to die as well, so somebody exactly. else is going to have to read it. Exactly. Um, so there's so many things uh, in your life that needs law. Okay. Um, and the key is that that process is not as efficient as it could be. Imagine, yeah. right? If you're sick, you just go to the GP, the local GP near your street. Mm. Um, and everyone has at least visited the doctor 20 times, times in their lives. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that, that gap needs mm. to be solved because if you have bigger problems then they refer you to a specialist but that doesn't mean that the doctors are not earning enough yeah they actually earn quite a bit even being a gp right so there is a market for everybody and right. for many different kinds of law uh and i think that has to be you know uh, looked into and that's what we're doing yeah do you think that there are sort of cases or common cases where people would use a specific type of law a lot more if they knew it was more accessible. So in company laws, especially for startup founders, is a good example because mm -hmm. we're, like, we're busy, you don't have the cash flow, I'm not going to waste 500 bucks an hour on a lawyer who's yes. going to come in and just hand me off to their junior, da, 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 all that sort of stuff, yes. right? That's how it works. Are there other sort of cases that where people say, you know, they should be using this stuff, but it's just not accessible? Yes. Uh, I think startups is one big uh, issue here in Asia because all of us, I mean... It's run by a lot of SMEs, mm. right? And uh, every business would have accountants, but not every business has a lawyer. Yeah, so very that's true. interesting because actually lawyers can add a lot of value, which they they're not aware of. Lawyers can help you structure. Lawyers can help you, uh, you know, figure out what are industry norms. What is the percentage of commission you should be getting in this kind of deal, for example? Mm. And these are the things that actually we should consult the lawyers first before even going to term sheet or negotiation or signing of agreements. But often um, that is, you know, misunderstood. You know, we always go to lawyers after we've decided what to do. Right, after the problem's created. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so we're trying to change that too. So mm. into preventive law rather than just... You know, when you have a huge problem, you go to a lawyer. Of course, your experience is going to be bad because at that point in time, you're kind of 
deep and trouble, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so uh, for example, listeners, viewers who are raising funds, mm-hmm. you know, that issue is that often they get a term sheet given to them by the other party. And then they'll go and speak to their angel friend or mm-hmm. their mate who also has a startup. Yes. Not often the best advice legally, is it? I mean, a lawyer can give an independent view on that. Yes. And if they knew, they could just ask that question and say, hey, look, investors have put these terms in. Yes. Or, you know, is this the right way to structure it? You can start that conversation with a lawyer, right? Yes, exactly. In fact, uh, for any startups, I suggest book a lawyer's time for at least an hour or two. Right. Right. And not just about raising funds no. or everything. Everything. Why, why would I need it then? Uh, you need to know your risk in the business. Some people okay. don't even realize that, for example, the business can be done. Mm. I mean, imagine you you spend you know months uh, thinking about an idea, implementing right. it, executing it, and then you realize, oh no, this doesn't qualify. Right, legally. Exactly. Like my moonshine business down here, selling <laughs> alcohol. I didn't realize it had to be regulated. Right. I'm <laughs> sure yeah. you don't want to be <laughs> on tape. <laughs> All right, I get your point. Well, one or two hours worth yes. it. I mean, you know, a hundred bucks. Exactly. Or even for, okay, so the, the, the most senior partners mm. uh, usually charge between 600 to mm. 1,000. Um, but I, I think, you know, they're more than happy to share an hour with you. And, you know, if you yeah. have, if you pay them another hour, they'll sit down with you for yeah. two hours. Yeah. And that's enough because if you go there with a very... Um, clear idea on what you want to do and run it through with them uh, be very specific mm. it's very easy uh, to know what you should do what your risks are and then try to build upon that because mm. you don't want to go in blind doing any business and a lawyer is actually one of the best partners you can have yeah I think as well that you know it's not necessarily the issue about profitability because it can be more profitable to do a lower cost job for mm-hmm. a lawyer if it was like you talked about the delivery was a lot more effective right yes and we look for example if you if you step outside of law and look at fr- freelancing yeah if for example i wanted a piece of code written yeah. and i went to upwork as an yes. example i spend you know a lot of time finding the right people and then explaining what the problem is and then i don't know if they can deliver so and then they charge because maybe it's they're like you know they'll just get that for this week they'll charge me many hundreds of dollars as a flip side there are other models like for example at the very other end you've got like fiverr where i know that if i go to this guy he does like css coding Mm. and he does it specifically for this and he charges you know he might charge 50 Mm dollars for that but for him it's more profitable because the delivery is really easy he knows he does 10 of those a day rather than spending hours and hours like on the delivery side like on upwork as an example so I think, you know, getting across the point that the real cost for a lawyer or anybody that's highly skilled and sells their time is the delivery, isn't it? And yes. that's what you're dealing with. You're taking that pain of delivery out yes. and helping them sort of deliver a profitable, a more profitable price point. Exactly. And what we're trying to do here is really also to train the lawyers to be more focused on their clients instead of actually just focusing on the papers. There you go. Yeah. That's refreshing. Time. Let's have a look at your journey, Sherilyn. Okay. So if we flip back into the pitch deck. Here we go. Um, three years. Yes. When did you did you start it on your own or were there co-founders? I started on my own. On your own. Mm-hmm. Okay. How did that feel when you started out on your own? So one of the hustles I had to go through is finding good team. Yeah. Um, especially in the field of legal tech. It's not like a sexy, you know. Uh, yeah. Well, it's not compared to being like, a, you know, all-powerful partner in a law firm, right? Exactly. Or, um, or you know, some of the other startups that does a lot of uh, high volume. Uh, we focus a lot on 
higher margin work, but you know, lower volume. Um, so different kind of startup altogether. Yeah. And uh, so it's it's really f- difficult to find people who are equally passionate about disrupting, not not really disrupting, facilitating this industry. Yeah. Um, because we're trying to work with them to create the changes, right? And um, so that took a long time. So yeah. even till today. Like um, we're growing in different expertise and skills and we're getting the right people for all these different uh, pillars in, in our business. So so how, how did you convince those people to come across? You know, you weren't a Facebook or you weren't, you know, an Uber in that sense. What was the, obviously you tried different pitches. Mm. What did you find that worked for those people from the legal background? Um, our first team is not in legal. Right. Yeah. They were technical people? Yes. Okay. Tech. Um, so how do you get them excited about law? It's it's the vision mm. and the mission. Um, we had a really big vision. Mm. Uh, and I wasn't sharing this in the deck because uh, the bigger vision that we have, uh, really, it's, it's about connecting every trusted professional mm. to people. And we're starting that with law because right. that's the, you know, if you think about levels of trust and seriousness, uh, that that's the yeah. epitome, right? Um, I mean, there are other professionals like doctors, uh, but um, there are many people who are in the medical um, platform business. Mm. Yeah. So, um, so we talk about vision. There's actually a lot to do in an industry that has not seen a lot of progress in terms of technology. So if you look at the technology that law firms are using, yeah. if you look at technologies that they are using day to day, the the tools that they're using to read even, or update their, their right. industry, it's it's really there's there's a huge gap and there's a lot to do. Uh, so people who are excited about that, right. that it's hard to come by, right? right? And and that's why the the process took quite a long time. Because there's so much of this ecosystem we need to deal with. So one thing is the regulators. Mm. Uh, second thing is the legal industry themselves, the lawyers themselves. We have the students, the law students, the schools, um, the people who actually give them uh, the courses for their upgrading. Um, the uh, well, uh, the pro bono yeah. community, which we are you know working a lot with. Um, there's so many parts. So to much this. to do. Yeah. And I know you, you've talked about accountants as an example. And they've evolved a lot. You talk about like the professional services firms, like the, the well, I suppose the KPMGs and mm-hmm. all those kind of people who became sort of more management consultants. And now they're probably going back into law, right? Yes. So, and then you have like on the other end, you have the software services like Zero as yes. an example. Yes. So they all exist. And then you talk about medicine, which is heavily regulated too mm-hmm. by comparison. I know you've, we talked about, the WebMD part of it as well. How how is it that, it, by comparison, law and medicine? It seems that in the medical community, they've made more advances. Mm. They've, they've seemed to have done a lot more, even though very very similar, and you know very very highly skilled, highly paid professionals mm. who you know don't have to risk it all, give it all away. That's but because the medical on. industry has opened up a long time ago. So if you look at the medical council, uh, you know they, they set prices on consulting. Yeah. So for example, a short consultation, you have to pay 50 to 80, a longer one, 80 to 120. Um, so they've actually set standards, which every single doctor has to adhere to. And that mm-hmm. hasn't happened uh, in the legal law industry. Yeah. So people are afraid because eight out of 10 people don't dare to step into a law firm because of this particular reason. Interesting. And because of that, no one goes to a lawyer 
uh, as much as to go to a doctor. Mm. Um, even if I have a flu and I know exactly what it is and the doctor is going to give me the same medicines, I'll still go to a doctor because, mm. you know, I want that assurance that's okay. And I know that I won't be charged, you know, an exorbitant amount, which doesn't make sense. Yeah. Mm. Lawyers, on the other hand, are also very thankful for some kind of a SOP, you know, right. because they realize that, hey, you know, if I actually can st- set um, price limits and, you know, service limits, that's totally fine too. Mm. So that's why there's this fixed fee uh, platform that we work with in Australia called Legally Yours. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they are there just to serve the fixed fee lawyers right? to get you to a fixed fee um, legal service. And uh, how about the, I know you talk about the, the pricing part, but how about the human angle for a lawyer mm. that, you know, there, may, there must come a time either at the early on when they're, they're starting out in law and they realize, actually, you know, I thought I was going to talk a lot more to people. I'm just dealing with paperwork. Yeah. And then maybe later on when they've kind of done it all or they may be made partner level and now they feel a bit removed from all that. What sort of conversations have you had with lawyers where they've, you know, talked about real human contact in what they do? Um, okay. So I, with regards to law, it's very similar to accounting. Um, when I first did my internship at one of the big four, and, uh, you know, I, I simply asked the question, you know, what what makes a partner? And they told me, oh, that's the youngest partner. And they said, oh, he brings in the deals. I was like, okay, but for the next three years, we're supposed to be, you know, doing these numbers, which yeah. have nothing to do, for example, with uh, client interaction. And um, so that is actually a gap in the professional services uh, um, segment. Mm. And that's changing in the accounting uh, segment. And one, one thing we've actually learned from the lawyers is that with with preparation, for example, the quick consult service, it allows the lawyers, the more junior ones actually, to prepare for their answers. So they train to be mm. better client-facing lawyers. And they can do that, you know, from early on in, in their in their practice rather than later. Good. So that's changing. Okay, good. I want to talk about your team as well. Yes. So um, maybe we can just flick up the advisor. I'm just scroll down to your team of advisors first. Um, this is a very good pitch deck, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the reason why I want to talk about this is because straight away when I was flicking through your pitch deck, I noticed Stephen there. Mm-hmm. So I know Stephen well from Japan. Yes. So he was a Singaporean lawyer. Yes. Who moved to Japan seeking new adventures, even though he's very still, like through Asia Law Network, very much connected to Singapore. Um, How was it getting these people on board? What kind of people have you got in your advisory board? And, you know, what was kind of like for you the key to the key message for getting them as a part of the journey because they must have a lot of offers yes um the important thing is they really see um my drive and motivation to make this happen and to make this work Uh, they've been through with me uh all the ups and downs in the last three and a half to four years and um did you know them before so interestingly uh i like to say that this is a calling right because before i started alan um I didn't actually know many lawyers, although now, <laughs> now <laughs> that I'm might have been a good thing, you know. On a call, <laughs> um, and so Shashi um, was a friend, uh, a longtime friend from before. Uh, I think we we engaged him uh, for some services earlier on for structuring, and Ying um, I knew through uh, a friend as well. Actually, um, Stephen also through uh, they are friends' friends, but Prof Tan is actually my professor in social entrepreneurship. Uh, when I was in SMU, mm, yeah, and he happened to, you know, 
to be a lawyer and he read law and uh, he's also uh, sitting on a chair of the now it's renamed it's uh, the corporate secretaries right. uh, the association yeah yeah institute for corporate secretaries so, so w- when you're when you're speaking to people like this and working with them do you ever sort of get that imposter syndrome that you know you're speaking about law and these are some of the most qualified or knowledgeable lawyers in the field yeah do you ever sort of feel because this is something that startup founders face sometimes they sort of look at themselves they wake up in the morning and think, oh my god you know what am i doing i don't know anything about this subject compared to these people yes. does that ever bother you at all no interestingly i did a lot of research so before even um starting ALN, i've done a year of research while mm. i was doing a lot of design thinking projects so going around interviewing users potential users of legal services lawyers i have knocked on thousands of doors of lawyer law firms mm-hmm. um to basically pitch them my um what do you call it uh screenshots right. of the tech platform that i was gonna build right your mvp <laughs> yes like super mvp right just to get a feel of what they think so when that happens uh you know i've got thousands of lawyers who are like okay i think that's a good idea we should get on it right and mm. and you know i research not just in singapore but across the world so there's an ALN, there's four ALNs in every state of the US. Um, you know, there's 120 ALNs mm. in China. Right, so okay. <laughs> Back up a little bit yeah, here, Sharon. So. I want to understand how this happened. You mm. say that you knocked on doors and you just rocked up with your screenshots. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Um, do you know how many doors you knocked on? No, I don't remember, but I... Give us a rough figure. <sighs> Are we talking hundreds, thousands? We, we launched of? with a thousand lawyers. Right. So how how did you get? You must have hustled like crazy because I know you talked about your advisors and getting your drive. I want to quantify that somehow so people can understand. That it's not just oh, I've got this app, yeah. and then I launched this app, and suddenly I'm a billionaire. Yeah. There's something in between, isn't it? So can you sort of describe what that was like when you were going out and doing it? So it was just me and my first hire, which which was uh, he was an administrator. Basically, his job is just to make sure I got the list, yeah. uh, and then we go on calling all the law firms, getting up meetings, cold calling. Uh, find buildings where there are a lot of law firms, many, many law firms, and I just went down the building and knocking on every single law firm. Uh, we have our first name card. It was actually called Lawyerling at the beginning. Uh, so let Law Ally. Um, and then nobody understood that. So we had to change it to Asian Network because then lawyers were like, oh, so this is a lot of So uh, there were all these changes at the beginning that, um, that were made um, from the start, from the get-go. So through really knocking on every single law firm's door, even looking at offices, you know what's going on. Uh, you get a feel of who's really on the ground, who are the ones that are using the, the technology, who are the ones that are answering the phones. Mm. Uh, we even went down to a law firm to observe. Um, for example, through Shashi, I think we were able to find out like how many hours uh, each person is uh, on the phone uh, how many hours of meetings they were get- getting into mm-hmm. from that number of hours of meetings how many actually converted into for example jobs or engagement and then how can we really shorten that process mm. and how can we shorten that process without having to uh, cause disturbance yeah uh, you know changes too much changes because you're talking about paralegals or even administrative crew or the secretaries um, who are much older so yeah. you know the way that the adopt technology is different right and we've created the quick consult such that it's just really green and red buttons just so that it's, it's just two big buttons right yeah. click one or the other um, so all these user testings were done from the start like uh, we didn't waste any time in fact t- till today I do a lot of the sales um, or meetings with lawyers myself because it's so important for me to find out what they really feel. And it gives me an idea of like what we have to build moving forward. Yeah. Mm. And I think that's what makes a great entrepreneur as well. Is that, we, you know, we have a lot of these conversations. The, the entrepreneurs that I really like are the mm. ones who can hustle. 
because you know every business fails because of sales they yes. either have the sales is lower than the cost the cost is higher than the sales and that's how they fail and yeah. sales is the lifeblood of a business yes to get out there and sell it's not just about revenues but you've identified it Sharon is that it's about getting insights so yeah. it's a huge part of it because when you go out into their office you're yeah. away from the screen you're seeing in the real environment you're observing things and you look at the course of any you know successful entrepreneur whether it's Steve Jobs or it's Richard Branson or it's you know Tony Shea from Zappos they live out there in the front line and go to you know where it's happening whether it's the retail store which yes. they own or that you know spending time with people but you seem quite comfortable in that environment whereas you know I, I wonder if you came from a law background yourself yeah you've been used to like the air-conditioned offices and oh, I'm very comfortable here I have everybody running around for me but you seem to like going out there. Yeah, I like going out there. Um, it's not so much the law environment. I think it's about the fact that we have nothing to lose. Mm. You know, I can ask, and if I get rejected, I get slammed on, or they say that they're busy, but at least I try. In fact, I tell people that, you know, not everyone's going to love your product. And and there is a segment that you have to serve, right? Mm. And maybe they won't love it now, but it doesn't mean that they won't take it up later. Um, so don't take no as an absolute, right? Or maybe I'm just really optimistic. Uh, I don't take no as an absolute because of, we've seen so many cases where, right. you know, lawyers will say no, but then, you know, you know the adoption curve, right? Yeah. So you have the 15% that comes in and later on everyone's like, oh, okay, since they're in, I have to be in, right? So uh, there's, there's all these um, emotions at play where it comes to our psychology at play where it comes to a product. And um, sometimes it's not, you have to identify what, identify what that motivation or that fear is mm. sometimes it's fear sometimes uh, fear of not knowing fear of losing out fear of um, uh, not being able to learn so some people don't adopt technology because they just are worried that they'll fail at yeah. the technology that looks right? stupid. so we spend a lot of time training uh, you know people in the law firms to use right. the technology we'll go through for example if it's your first quick consult we go through it with them we make sure the call mm. goes through we ask them for feedback before, during, after. Uh, we do that with the users too. Are you involved in that process? Uh, that was the last thing I outsourced. Right. So it was until recently right. that I, I actually let go of that process. Yeah, so that well, that's the, the right process. way to do it, isn't it? Yes. You learn the process, you learn then the, the template, then you can outsource exactly. that. Exactly, and always looking to scale from yeah. start. So uh, the platform is going to be in five languages and then we're launching within the month mm -hmm. in five languages. And uh, the backend system is already in 15 languages. <laughs> Excellent. Before, I mean, there's a question that I, of the day that I have for you and I'm really fascinated by your answer. You've already given some clues away to that. Um, before we do that, let's talk about where you are in your journey as well. Are you raising at the moment? Um, a startup founder always says we're raising all the Endless. time. Yes, yes. Uh, we're not looking for... Um, money immediately. We're mm. looking for a good strategic investor um, that, or a few investors, uh, strategic ones that we can really tap uh, into to grow exponentially. What would that be? Would that be a law firm? Could be. Mm, Is that an option? Maybe. When you say strategic investor, you mean somebody who's not just bringing money, they're bringing... Yeah, relationships. Uh, you know, going across, we have to be Asia Law Network, right? Mm. And going across the, the region, talking about a lot of uh, unknowns uh, in different countries because mm -hmm. we're not just in common law countries we're also in civil law countries and um, those countries require a different kind of um, you know network 
people mm-hmm. and we we want to be there right mm-hmm. so in terms of those partners give us an idea of what kind of people you would like to reach out to you uh, I believe it's not just about people with money, but also in professional services mm-hmm. or understand the space uh, a bit more. Um, also businesses that use legal services a lot or mm-hmm. even I think for corporates, uh, we're looking at also even tech uh, partners. Yeah. So uh, network companies, tech partners, mm-hmm. uh, telcos. I think those will be really, really good uh, strategic uh, partners for, for us. Yeah, sure. And what about your team itself? You're recruiting? Yes, okay. always. <laughs> always. It's endless, isn't it? I think. Endless. That, so here's the interesting thing. You're in a space where I think the recruiting must be probably one of the biggest challenges, especially if you, I know technical aspect you've talked about, trying to get people excited about law, but it's not really about that. It's the bigger mission that you're on, right? Mm. And then from the legal side, getting those people to come across Mm. you know in the same way that you had to go and knock on doors you have to kind of get out there and educate the market don't you what are you looking for at the moment in terms of people joining your team are you looking for hard skills particularly Mm. i think motivation why they want to be in this journey with us right um and i strongly believe in team I mean, when I was in a creative agency, I turned around a loss-making agency into a profit-making agency, just reorganizing the team. And uh, it's so important to love coming to work every mm. day with the people that, you know, you know, have your back. So I always look out for team and people who like that tend to pay a lot more responsibility mm. and, and, and respect to, you know, the coworkers and making sure that it's an environment that they want to be working in. Uh, with regards to hard um, skills, well, nothing cannot be learned. So that's what we strongly believe in. Right. Actually, uh, the, the team, if you think about it, recently we, on, we recently had two legal hires, but before this, it was all non-legal. And uh, in terms of marketing, it, it runs like a normal business, right? Mm. So you need your marketing people, you need your tech, you need uh, someone who does product, takes care of customer service especially. So as long as they care about the problem enough, yeah. To want to do that, uh, I think that's more important than the that. fact that they have a legal background or they have a specific technology that they can develop. Yeah. Right. So for tech, uh, it's more specific, but mm. uh, other than that, it's it's pretty okay. Well, you said motivation and the people who wake up in the morning and want to come and you know put a dent in the universe. Yes. How can somebody be as motivated as you? Because I mean, I look at what you've achieved; it's just phenomenal. And you're, you know, it's really inspiring what you've done with the business. And you've gone into a new space. You've not been afraid of challenging and you've converted and you convinced people with your vision of what you want to do mm. and you went out there and you you know you beat the street you went out and knocked the doors and that's the hardest part but it, it's yeah. only a, a special type of person that can do that and it's not okay motivation is one part of it mm. but sure your standards for yourself must be really high how do you then compare you know when you recruit people and they're you know maybe not the kind of people that can do as much as you or knock on a thousand doors or maybe they are out there but they're very very (laughs) few of them so how do you sort of manage your expectations in that sense because then will people ever be as motivated as you so i'm sure there are people who would be less motivated and they will have a role in the company for example for a while but i'm looking for long-term motivation so people who really want to make a dent uh they will end up doing it right so the the key is for me to create that safe environment uh for them to do so so for example i i think uh i 
the way I do, I mean, the way I lead is slightly different from others. I look for um, diamonds in the rough, I'd say. You know, people who already have that no fear. Um, and I tell them there's nothing. Well, if if we don't do well for this pitch, it doesn't matter. We have the next one. We mm. have like thousands ahead, right? Um, the key is not for me to um, just pick on what they don't do, but also to grow with them in this journey. So a lot of my time is actually spent on communicating. So I spent a lot of time communicating with my team on a day-to-day basis. What we have done, and I encourage all of them to share what they're doing mm. on a day-to-day because we celebrate each other's success and we celebrate each other's failures or we learn from each other's failures. So um, in that case, then it, it, it kind of molds the individual to be different. Mm. So it doesn't matter that you know that they, they were worried at the beginning, but as long as they have that mentality that it does not matter, Mm. Uh, they actually tend to do a lot better. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And how, do you, when you're recruiting, how do you identify that when somebody sits across for you? Because everybody polishes up well yes. at the interview, right? And they've all got great CVs yeah. and they're all changing the world. Is there something specific that you look for when you say diamonds in the rough? Obviously, you've got a good eye for it. Just sharing that, or, or is it just a case of? I'll make a few mistakes and I'll I, get the right people. Yeah, I had to learn uh, along this journey. And one of the key things I look out for is, uh, so I'll, I'll ask this question, right? Yeah. Would you like to test working with us for two weeks? Well, the people who are really excited will jump on it yeah, immediately. It. And then I'll see let's during do it this. Now. Yeah, let's do it now, right? Uh, the people who have like first choice, second choice, third mm. choice, fourth choice, fifth choice, they won't do it. Right, and if you're not going to be someone's first choice, don't take it. Yeah, don't take it. I rather wait. I rather wait for the right person. But of course, I it's not so much waiting, but you know, actively uh, getting people, getting to know people, and finding them. And I start with always talking about the vision Mm. because if I don't see, you know, that interest in them when I talk about the vision, then it's also a sign. Yeah, Mm. that's a great place to start. It cuts out all the time wasters as well and wasting your own time. Yes, and if not, it's fine because if if it's not a good match, uh, at least they know about us Yeah, and then they move on. (laughs) Yeah, they might come back as a client. Exactly. There you go. Sharon, it's been fantastic. A real privilege. I feel like, you know, inspired by your energy. (laughs) And I feel like I need to raise my game in here right now. (laughs) I mean, that's one of the reasons I do it. I get to meet amazing people like yourself. So, And thanks for coming on to the show today and sharing your journey. And it has been a real journey for you as well. And before you go, I mean, the question of the day, I can't forget to ask you this. And it, I'm really you know, curious about your answer is that if you sat with your 18-year-old self mm-hmm. and you were to advise yourself, it might not be an 18-year-old Sherilyn, by the way. So anybody in that situation starting out, knowing what you know now, is there any kind of advice, career advice, career I'd say, advice. that you could offer yourself? It's always the cliche you know, feel faster to get there faster. But yeah. I think at 18 years old, um, don't think too much in, in terms of like what you need to do next. Right. Just go in and do it. Because when, you, when you're doing it, you'll know whether you love it or not. You'll know whether you can spend the rest of your life doing this. Mm. And when, when you're doing it, you also know your strengths and your weaknesses. And that's where we learn. It's always a journey about learning about yourself and polishing up yourself, right, mm. in the end, um, and giving that best at that point in time to the company or whatever you're, you're doing at the point in time. So we're always on this journey. So the key is how then are you able to give your best? So you give your best when you know, and you have to listen to your guts. So mm. that's really one thing that 
I would tell my 18 years old. Because when you're 18, you try to rationalize, right? You're thinking, oh, I should do this because that's what people are doing. Yeah. I should do this because uh, that's what my parents told me. But I think you know it right. when something is right or wrong. Like, oh, you should date this person, right? Because this person seems nice. Right. But if you don't have that chemistry, uh, it's not going to last. You've got to make a few mistakes as well, right? It's never the first one. Yes. <laughs> You've got to get well. through some of, some of the frogs and the toads to get to the princes. But I think your point about it's not do or die mm. at an early stage. Mm. And what I love about your story as well, Sherilyn, is that people need those stories especially in a place like here in Singapore not just Singapore but in Asia people need to hear your story because I think that gives them confidence when they're banging their head against the wall because they've got parents saying do this do that and the expectations of all their friends and family yes. that oh no you don't want to do that you don't want to risk your pension or you don't want to risk your career but if they see stories like yourself they understand that it works out yeah. that they can follow this path that maybe they have this calling inside of them which is not resonating with the people around them yes and they feel maybe a little bit stuck yeah but then listening to your story that might be the seed planted in their head yeah. that blossoms into something I amazing i hope so i hope so because in the end you're only responsible for yourself right exactly. and your life so no one's gonna do that for you so great Cheryl and Tan, everybody, fantastic. CEO of Thank Asia Law so Network. Much. Thank you for sharing your journey today. Please come back in the future and update us on that journey. It's been spectacular. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Me too. I would hope to hear more about you. Yeah. This. On the next <laughs> one. Let's switch seats. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Sherilyn. See you.